to Innovating Humanity, the official podcast for Birmingham Tech. I'm Jude Jennison, the host of this podcast, and I'm the founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I work with senior leadership teams to help them align through behavioural change. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the intersection between technology, humanity and leadership and looking at how we use technology to be more human and increase emotional connection and enhance the way that we live and work. I'll be interviewing leaders from technology businesses who are at the forefront of changing how we live and work. You will not want to miss this. Some of the conversations have been enlightening and inspiring and I hope you enjoy them as much as I have done. Amadeep Gill is a partner at Charles and Hamlin Law Firm. He specialises in commercial law in the tech sector. Amadeep talks about the ethical issues of technology and law, the need to be forward-thinking and flexible in our approach to how we use technology to support our human experience. We talk about the ethical, moral and social issues of technology and how we apply it, and what that means both for lawyers and for us as human beings in a world of technology. Have a listen. Hi Amadeep, thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me to be uh, with you and to discuss some really interesting stuff, Jude. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to to hearing what you've got to what you've got to tell us about your thoughts on innovating humanity. Can you start by telling us who you are and what you do, please? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my name is Amadeep Gill. I'm a partner at Trowers and Hamlin's. We're an international law firm, and I sit and specialise in commercial work, um, a lot of our tech-focused work, um, and also lead our smart city practice, looking at how technology can advance the way that you, you and I, um, experience the world around us. So what, what are some of the themes that you are coming across in with clients that you're working with? I think there's a real focus on technology and and how it will apply to certain service areas and the way that work is undertaken. But also I, I'm fortunate enough to, to look at technology in, in the impact it will have in our working environment, but also our living um, environment as well. Lots of technology is being applied to homes and has been for a number of years. Um, and I think that's, uh, you know, accelerating at a pace. And I think it's genuinely accelerating um, in a considerable way that perhaps I didn't appreciate would have done before um, the, the pandemic. But I definitely think that's added fuel to the fire, so to speak. Do you think, so it... I think a lot of the. No, go on. I, I think the, the important thing is, though, all of this was always in the offing. There's nothing explicitly new that I'm talking about. But what it has done is it's just heated up in a way that even I didn't anticipate. And everyone wants to know about digital. Everyone wants to know about tech. And, you know, some of that is as a consequence of the pandemic. But I don't think any of it is new um, from my perspective, at least. No, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think in the past we saw, and we even we even call it the technology sector, don't we? You know, or, or communication sector, and 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 yet at at its heart, every business has technology, and and even more so now. Do you think we're becoming more aware of that? I mean, somebody was talking to me the other day about uh, Domino's Pizza, and I think more than fifty percent of their workforce are software developers. 
and and yet in our mind's eye as a consumer i think of domino's pizza as a pizza company but actually at the heart it's technology that enables them to to deliver in the way that they deliver do you think do you think we're becoming more aware of that as as businesses and as consumers I definitely think there's enhanced awareness, actually, but I also think there's a kind of societal shift, um, you know, with the ubiquitous nature of the internet, with, you know, some real success stories within the tech, quote unquote, tech sector, like Amazon, um, and, and the way that society is changing in terms of its needs and requirements, we are becoming um, uh, a nation, if we haven't already, of online shoppers or increased online shoppers. I think there's very few businesses that aren't digital in nature mm. uh, or have a significant reliance upon digital, whether it be a law firm like myself, um, whether it be the, the Amazon's, the obvious tech examples. But, you know, I think it has uh, an application to every sector, every type of business. Um, and if you don't have a digital strategy, I think you're kind of you know, on the back burner, so to speak. And there's very few businesses that I don't think um, should should kind of ignore the, the impact of digital art on them and their future um, trading strategy. Um, is it because we're more aware? Is it because um, of societal and cultural shifts? I think it's a combination of everything. And I think we're going through a real period of social change and social upheaval. And it gives us the ability to examine things in a, uh, in a more detailed way than perhaps we would if we were just on the, the, the treadmill and just doing things um, without you know, consciously having to think about it. I think the pandemic has made us really stop and pause and think about what the future looks like. Um, but it's also due to their lack of social contact made us reevaluate our relationship with digital. Um, and that's why it's been a real big talking point. I think if if that we'd had another kind of global event of a different nature, then perhaps the topic of conversation would have been slightly different. But I do think the nature of what we're all experiencing at this moment in time has really forced us to hone in on on connecting without physical contact, um, uh, shopping without physically shopping. So it's all about that that digital aspect of it. Yeah, and it's interesting because because as you say, it's brought it more to the conscious mind, hasn't it? And and yet two years ago, I mean it was three years ago when I wrote wrote my book, Leading Through Uncertainty. And in there the the very first chapter is called Human Beings versus Supercomputers. And and I and I was talking and, and okay, it's probably a bit dated now because it's three years ago when that was certainly when it was written, two and a half when it was published. But I was talking about actually what we're experiencing today, which is how do we use technology so that we're that it creates emotional connection rather than emotional disconnection? Because it's and I think we've seen this in the pandemic where it's enabled us to connect as teams and as businesses in ways that we might not have done before and in some ways has made things a lot easier but actually there's no substitute for that face-to-face -face contact is there that physical standing in somebody's presence and you know even shaking their hand and feeling the sense of their energy you can't substitute that with technology no without a shadow of a doubt a lot of our communication is not through the words that come out of our mouth it's how we experience each other it's how you know we gesticulate it's you know um the the 
the closeness of our conversation. So I, I definitely feel that just on that, the 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 what I immediately thought of, by the way, when you said that the, your first chapter of your book was, you know, humans against versus supercomputers, I think, you know, our, our mind is the greatest supercomputer that currently exists, you know, we give it, we don't give it the credence that it deserves, um, and we are fascinating creatures within our own right, and I think, you know, technology should be about enhancing our personal experience and our um, streamlining our life, and I think we there is technology and uh you know the advancements that are being made are slightly pedestaled as actually being the fundamental fundamental forefront of change and enhancement of human experience but actually i think a lot of it comes down to the, our internal experience as well and i think it's balancing up the two um and realizing our own great capabilities as as Jude, as Amadeep, as our listeners, um, as much as, you know, the, the amazing technolo technological advancements that are going on around us, which none of which would have happened without human input. Mm. Well, and, and I think increasingly so, I, I think in the, in the last five years, we're starting to make that shift up from technology that just processes information, which arguably it can do much quicker than you or I, despite our amazing brains, computers mm. can still process, you know, numbers and data and information quicker. And so I think historically we use technology for that, but now I think we're starting to shift to somebody has an idea that says, this is how life could be better with the use of technology. And then they use the technology to instigate that. Which is, which is turning it the other way around and turning it back to how do we use technology to improve the way that we live and work? What, 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 what's your view on that? What are you seeing? I, I definitely believe that um, there has been a shift. So things like AI um, and you know, machine learning um, and robotics, they are all kind of seeping in to um, to the human experience in a way that perhaps a, a big supercomputer that can um, crunch a trillion kind of alternatives in one go um, it's it's very different there, there is a whole host of ethical issues there's a whole host of psychological issues um, that go alongside that and actually that's the very interesting bit you know how as a lawyer do you legislate for things that um, you know, are very, very difficult and are very emotive. You know, I, I went to a workshop a few days ago about autonomous vehicles, um, being a convert to autonomous, uh, autonomous vehicles. And actually, it was really interesting and great for me to hear, you know, dissenting views. You know, how does a vehicle make an ethical decision about whether it hits a child that's ran in front of it or swerves and potentially hits two pedestrians how do you make those very hard real world decisions mm. um that are no easier for you and i if we were behind that driving if we were driving that particular car but you know when when it's when it's outsourced to a, a hard drive in in in, in the car how how do you make those ethical decisions? We are now in in a world where um, we we could potentially be you know relying on machines to 
to make decisions on our behalf. Um, and that raises a whole host of kind of ethical, moral and social issues that I don't think we have yet grappled with as a society uh, and may not do so in a meaningful way. And that also, presumably, in order for that machine to make that decision, then it has to be programmed in such a way that it's either able to make the decision or is programmed to make, you know, to follow a set series of, of instructions. And therefore, how it's programmed and set up in the first place is the human piece, isn't it? Is are we thinking about those ethical decisions up front? And, and clearly we are because you've been to a workshop on it, but are, are we thinking about them enough? Because if you look at an, the internet as an example, it's a great example where take up has you know, just grown exponentially. And then suddenly we have the dark web that nobody was probably expecting. We have all sorts of challenges of the ethical decisions, the legal decisions, the emotive discussions that happen that have grown probably out of proportion and out of control of the people who had the idea in the first place. How do we, how do you, how do we deal with that? Because that's, you know, that's ethics and legislation. And yet also it's whatever, whatever somebody's creating then gets taken by consumers and, and grows in a different direction. And isn't that the beauty of products and services? They have a very different, well, they have the potential to be used for a very different purpose than that for which it was created. Um, and no, there is no greater example than the internet. If you go and, you know, listen to some of the talks that um, have been done about, you know, the, the, its initial purpose and what it was going to be used for, et cetera, and where we are now, um, and, you know, there's a phenomenal gap, is there not? And almost a gulf between the original kind of requirement and what it has now become. All of these things have them a personal momentum and they are, again, users, consumers for their, per, you know, personal purposes, whatever they may be. And, you know, as, as varied as humans are, uh, uh, as potentially varied the application of technology can be, some of it good, some of it bad. Um, and actually, does that mean, you know, and this is why it's such a grey area and this is so why it's so much why it's ambiguous. Um, you know, Facebook, um, Twitter have been, you know, very much in um, the spotlight, given the, the role that they play in influencing, particularly at times of um, political cycles. Um, but, you know, that's one aspect of what they do. But they also connect us. Uh, and they connect, you know, I use it to connect with family members and friends that are, you know, dispersed across the globe. And it's great for that. But, you know, it also connects people that have views that I don't share that I may think that are, you know, toxic. Um, and it, it's also a platform for all of that. You know, there is no, I think there's so much moral ambiguity about the application of technology and how it can be applied. Um, but you know i think it's a reflection of humanity you know well, we're not all good people or yeah. you know my version of good people which may be different to yours and that that therein lies the, the 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 key point is we're all different so i'm guessing as a as a lawyer then 
presumably that makes your job both really challenging and really interesting. <laughs> it's phenomenally interesting when you look at, um, you know, the things that, uh, especially on the, 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 the application of technology and what it could be. Um, I think we're, we're, we're at a slightly, um, we're at very different stages, both socially and demographically um, than other countries and their experience uh, of technology. But, you know, I do think there is, it's a phenomenally interesting space to inhabit um, and one that's going to be increasingly relevant because I, I do think, you know, life is changing around us. Um, and you can't legislate for every scenario. You can't pre preempt every um issue that is going to crop up so you know one has to be constantly vigilant uh, and it's intellectually stimulating and challenging all at the same time and a lot of what we've talked about or in terms of inadvertent application of you know technologies and so solutions that are, are are great and have a wonderful kind of purpose but then are used for something that perhaps wasn't anticipated um questioning their 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 relevance yeah and i you know when i when i think of law and and excuse my ignorance <laughs> but Don't my my limited experience of law is it's based on historical information that that is then applied to the present day and and I think of it in terms of the binary version of law of it's wrong to steal from a shop and therefore there are con consequences to that. What we're talking about here is when things are emerging and changing as you move forward, presumably law is then having to start looking more forward, be more forward thinking, as well as historically, and as well as looking at what's happening in the courts today and last month and last year also looking at what might happen in the future and therefore how do we legislate against that and how do we i don't know you tell me your experience because i'm i'm just from a naive point of view the thing is you know i i think that the law does have to be preemptive it does have to think about um future potential scenarios and actually you know the law then has to play catch-up role in terms of you know what the legislation says and what what in reality is happening you know you know yeah i'm just thinking about some of the the big cases that are happening now um and and the consequences of that i think what what we have to be very clear about when we're legislating is yes it's going to set a, a serious of measures and uh, framework in place that has to be robust it has to withstand challenge but it also has to grow with you know societal demands and, and you know as with anything you set up a set of rules they then have to be stress tested and an interpretation has to occur and there has to be a constant reiteration of those because um life doesn't stop you know nothing stops growing nothing stops evolving and therein lies a the challenge you know there is pieces of legislation that i'm looking at that were written in a certain context they are constant context specific they're they're time specific um and they're scenario specific and none of those are fixed and, and the beauty of being a lawyer is you have to understand the framework you have to provide an interpretation of it um and then actually it may not always work 
um, and then there has to be a revisiting of, of the legislation and updating um, because you know there is a societal evolution that always goes on. I almost think that a piece of legislation comes out uh, and reflects at a certain point in time um, but there has to there has to be changes that are made to that to reflect where we move on as a collective. So where, where that takes me then is in terms of how we as human beings lead in our own lives or in our own work, what, what I'm hearing is required is much more um, creativity, much more flexibility, much more understanding context and situation and much more of an emergent style of, of leadership because you're responding to changes in the way that we live and work and therefore the ethics of the way that we live and work and therefore is the le legislation fit for purpose? Does it need to evolve? Does it need to change? Is it a different context? And I was working with somebody yesterday and she said, um, I, I, don't, I don't have the textbook tell me how to lead a horse and because my work obviously involves working with a herd of horses and she she was trying to get this horse to move and he wasn't cooperating and she said I the thing is I don't know how to get a horse to move and and so we we talked about how um actually the way that you lead a horse isn't binary in the same way as the way that you lead a person isn't binary and do you think that we are used to seeing the world through a through that binary lens of if it's like this, then I do X. And if it's like that, I do Y. And do you think that's, I know I'm asking a lot of big questions here, but do you think that's why something like the pandemic throws everything in complete disarray? Because there's just so much ambiguity that requires for a completely different style of leadership. Mm. So you and I, I don't think we'll disagree on this point, are, um made up of our our experiences to date um, and you know they are reflective of our sex our socioeconomic status um, our education our parents beliefs um, so regardless of what in the, in the manner in which we lead we are you know full of inherent biases and inherent um, modes of operation um, and I don't necessarily think we're we're always reactive. I think you know, um, but what we are is full of biases and predetermination. Um, and actually, you know, some of us will have responded better to the pandemic than others because those natural set of biases and predetermined kind of responses will will en enable us to to respond in a much more meaningful and productive way. Um, I do think what, what the pandemic has done is if it's forced us to re-examine things and it's forced us to, to actually do a lot of um, very quick thinking. Um, and there are different people who have had very different experiences of this pandemic. So, you know, I, I can't speak um, for everyone. I can only speak from my own personal experience, but I think my leadership has, you know, has to be, has been much more human it's been much more empathetic it's, it's been much more compassionate they're all traits that I have um, and, and you know they they come into play but I've had to rely on certain aspects of my personality uh, in a much more 
meaningful way than I have previously, although they've been present. It can't be formulaic, it can't be regimented, um, although aspects of that are important because you have to add consistency, you have to remain um, as a leader, I think, uh, very focused for your team. Um, and different people will have responded in different ways at A, given their personality type, B, given their sector, uh, and C, given the people that they have to manage. I do think that um, leadership will have evolved. Some of, the, some of it has been very successful, some of it won't have been. Um, I think that's natural with any set of circumstances. Um, and I think we all have to do a lot of learning and self-reflection when we get the opportunity to. We're still in the midst of this. We're still grappling with the consequences of it. Um, and but when once we have this opportunity to reflect on what's gone on, um, I do think there'll be a really great opportunity for us to further refine who we are as leaders. Um, and it's a constant evolution. I'm not the person that I was when I took up running the head of our office in Birmingham to, to the person that I am now. Um, and I've changed. And this is just another personal acceleration. I consider myself very fortunate to be able to have had um, that reflection on the pandemic when I know when other people um, are in a very difficult situation. I don't ever underestimate that. And there are you know, people I, I care about and love very dearly that are having a really horrific and difficult time. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to watch that um, and witness that. But um, as a leader, it, it you you have to em embrace all of the chaos and the, the disharmony and the pain if people are feeling it um but be very consistent in your approach and your messaging and the support that you give without depleting yourself yeah and, and it's and it's challenging isn't it so as a as a lawyer then is that requiring you to think in a different way and does that mean that um as a law firm that you might need to maybe recruit in a different way, to develop people in a different way so that, so that people are more aware. Because, because and, I, and again, I don't wanna go, because I know law isn't this binary, but ultimately you come to a conclusion, don't you? So there's a, there's a decision that, that you, from all of the chaos, you create some clarity and you come to a sensible conclusion. You would hope it's a sensible conclusion. I'm sure it is in your case. Um, but but amongst all of that, what I'm now hearing is that that everything is starting to become ambiguous, and therefore there is more, there is less clarity, and therefore more need to create that, and and to hold empathy and compassion, and a whole host of other things. It's a lot to hold, isn't it? Absolutely, I think you know leaders are at this moment in time being asked to, to take on a lot more than perhaps they anticipated uh, and what they're comfortable with. You know, we're all operating outside of our comfort zones because we're all operating in the space of unknown. Um, some aspects of this are, are familiar to us and perhaps we're, we're more comfortable with those. The unfamiliar bits are um, the, the, where the challenge is and we're required as you know, whether we're lawyers, whether we're, you know, technicians, whether we're coaches, whatever, we're, we're using perhaps different parts of our personality or we're leaning in on different parts of our personality than we have before. Um, and I, I think 
when you talk about the law coming to a kind of sensible conclusion, notwithstanding all the ambiguities and interpretation that goes on before we get to that point, um, if we look at that in a leadership perspective, you know, as a leader, I have to give, or I feel that I have to provide a consistent framework of reference um, for, for people that I lead, because if I'm blowing in the wind, how do they know where they stand? How do they know that what they think is the right way to do things is still the right way to do things? I think a lot of what I still do as a leader is as it was pre-pandemic. Mm. I don't think any of that has, you know, fundamentally that has changed. Uh, what has changed, though, is I have to respect the fact that people are going through a very personal experience of this. Some are carers, some are parents, some have, uh, you know, looking for looking after family members or their own children have been ill. Some have had, you know, to postpone material, you know, big milestones for them, whether they be weddings, anniversaries, birthdays. Um, everyone has got this uh, personal experience of what's going on around them. I think more now than ever, I've had to be really in tune to that personal um, management style. You know, I can't afford to be um, just put out glib statements. Mm. I just can't afford to, to not uh, engage uh, and communicate uh, and over communicate, but also um, allow for feedback to happen for me as a leader as well. So there's a real, um, as, there's a real dichotomy there that I'm hearing around the need to create some structure and a framework and provide some clarity and some consistency balanced with the ability to respond to the here and now, to be in tune with how people are feeling, how they're dealing with things. And, and so there's a, a need for flexibility, um, which, which might seem at odds with structure and framework but actually the two are it's knowing when to have a structure and a framework and when to be more fluid and, and emergent I guess. Absolutely and the, the structure and the framework negates perhaps some of the anxiety that I'd have to manage if I didn't have the structure and the framework you know so while they they seem to be at polar opposites in terms of a management style I do think they're intrinsically linked actually if I if I didn't give a consistent framework on certain aspects of what we do I think that would cause an, uh, anxiety amongst the people that I manage and that ultimately would then I'd have to manage that I think it is finding the balance between the two and uh, uh, when you describe them when you describe structure when you describe frameworks that they have got very hard edges when then you talk about personal communication styles and managing scenarios that are personal to individuals they have very soft undefinable end, uh, edges don't they and you think that they're polar opposites but actually they 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 rely on each other um mm. and you know you as a leader have to see the relationship between the two yeah completely um, and there's a much broader skill set that I, I think leaders probably have to bring to the table at this moment in time. Um, if, you know, uh, it's my, again, my personal view, um, it, it's taking a lot more um, thought than perhaps it did before in a constantly changing environment. So final question for you then, Amadeep, what, what does the future hold for well for law given what's going on with technology and the need to be more flexible and more emergent and all of the things we've talked about 
I think for the law, you know, we are an industry itself that is digital. So we have seen great shifts in terms of um, uh, products and services that are uh, entirely digital based for, for the law. Will that mean that people won't need lawyers? I don't think that is the case. I think as with any technology um, in any sector, it, it refines the sector. It doesn't replace the sector. Um, so I think as law, lawyers and law firms, you know, there, there was a greater reliance on digital in certain aspects of what we do. So I think there will be, uh, you know, great strides in that. Um, you know, there will be a, a shift in the way that we work. You know, we, we've, it's been shown that offices aren't, um, people don't need to be in an office to be effective. And I think that that flexibility and fluidity in terms of um, locational choice, I think, will be fed into the decisions that uh, law firms make in the future. And um, if you are operating within the, the technology space as a lawyer, uh, I think we are going to experience a seismic shift in the way that we undertake things and do things. Um, and as technology becomes ever more prevalent, um, as lawyers, we will have to interpret the, the legislation and the, the realms of the, the art of the possible um, in a much more uh, real world way. Um, and I think it's going to be very challenging. The next few years are going to be not only challenging, but, you know, really uh, interesting as well. I, you know, I can't guess where we're going to go. I can't um, foresee where the technologies are going to emerge uh, and are emerging. Um, but all I do know, it's going to be a landscape of, you know, absolute evolution. And it's great to be at the forefront of that. And I want to be riding that cusp of, cusp of the wave. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to being um, really stimulated by that. Amadeep, I just feel like with people like you in law, in the tech space, I feel like the future's in safe hands. So thank you so much for your time today. That's very generous of you to say. I really enjoyed talking with you, Jude, as always. And I wish you all the very best with this podcast series. I'm looking forward to tuning in. Thank you. I'm struck once again by the need for us as consumers and businesses to take responsibility for how we use technology. I'm not convinced we've realised yet that we have that responsibility. I've personally always assumed that the designers of technology have it. But if you look at how we use many tech products and services, they've gone in different directions, driven by the consumer and how we use it. I think we need to start as human beings considering the moral, ethical and social issues of how we both individually and collectively use technology. What do you think? That's it for this week. You've been listening to Innovating Humanity, the official podcast for Birmingham Tech Week. I'm Jude Jennison, host of the podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I hope you've been as inspired by this week's guest as I have. If you'd like to know more about how I help leaders and teams be more human in a world of technology, you may be surprised to discover I do it by working in a field with a herd of horses. Sound crazy? All innovation's crazy in the beginning. So if you like to think outside of the box and get rapid results, you can find out more at www.judejennison.com. And if you'd like to find out more about the exciting technology scene in Birmingham, hop onto the Birmingham Tech website at www.birminghamtechweek.com. Until next time, that's it from me, Jude Jennison, the official podcast partner for Birmingham Tech. <laughs>